of death is gone and we are free. We're free to worship. We are free to live. Death was arrested by the finished work of Jesus. Woo! Man, you can't. I tell you what, somebody should have got excited right then. I, I thought I'd have to calm folks down. Turn into Galatians with me. I love this text we're in today. So we've been on a journey. If you're brand new with us today, welcome. Uh, we've been walking through Galatians now for a couple of weeks. Um, today, um, the Apostle Paul is going to take a hard shift. So where we've been, um, he exposes an issue in the church. The issue was there were some people who came in and, and began, to, um, began to trick the believers there in Galatia. And what they were doing was they were saying, uh, listen, we know that, that you can now um, come to faith, but you have to do that by the law. So what the Judaizers is the word we called them. What they said was that, was that, that Christ was part of salvation, but you still had to convert back to Judaism, meaning that the males had to go through circumcision. In fact, last week we, we brought forth this idea of the circumcision party, which is a party you never want an invitation to, right? So we, we, we discovered that, and we talked through um, how Jesus is our salvation. We, we, we established that Christ plus nothing equals our salvation. So, so today he's going to take a hard transition in chapter 3 from identifying the issue to showing you the solution. And he's going to do it in three different ways. Our whole theme today, what we want you to experience, is that Christ has set you free and he wants you to live that way every single day. In fact, look at your neighbor this morning and tell him, you're free today. Now I'm going to tell you what that freedom means, all right? So in Galatians chapter 3, the first 10 verses, I'm going to summarize for you because we're going to read most of the text. So we'll start reading in verse, uh, in verse 10. The first nine verses, the Apostle Paul is, is showing them. He says, he starts out and he just tells them, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Who, who caused you to stumble? Who came in and caused you to be, to be fretted? Who, who changed? Who came in and respoke to what, I, what I'm telling you? And then he's going to tell them that if anybody adds to the word of God, if anyone adds to the declaration of God, they're accursed. They're accursed. And that word in, in, in the scriptures, that's not a good thing. Like, you're better off dead than accursed. So he, he's warning them about the integrity of of the scripture he brings forth talking about the suffrage that the the Israelites had coming out of the bondage and he talks about the the Abraham covenant that we're going to talk about and he, he he begins to show them how how all the while salvation from the very beginning from the very beginning to present day has always been by faith so you and I come to Christ and we don't come to Christ with our hands full of stuff because we have nothing worthy to give to the Lord. We have nothing worthy of God's affection. We have, we have nothing worthy of that. The only way we come, and the only way Abraham came, was by faith. It's nothing that you've done, but rather it's what Christ has done for you. So starting in verse 10, it says, For we all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and they do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that, the, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, not even a man-made covenant, no one annuls or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, and it does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to you, your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. Verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer becomes by promise. But God gave it to Abram as a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. This is the law then, contrary to the promise of God. Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be indeed by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the time of coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith, verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Father, we pray over your text today. Lord, it's holy and it's righteous and it's going to show us today how victorious we can be in Christ. It's going to show us the freedom that you've given to us. Father, we praise your holy name that you have allowed us to come in and receive deliverance from our transgressions and our ideologies. God, I ask on behalf of our people today that you would show up and spend time with us. Lord, that you would have the freedom to go up and down every seat, every aisle. That, Father, you would be made Lord today of our lives, and not just by our lips, but by our hearts. We give you all authority that you need, and not that you've ever asked for it, because you own it. But we ask you to draw hearts near today. If that means for some salvation, then we pray your salvation would come. If for some that means partnering with our church by membership, if that means for some surrendering to ministry, if that means some releasing from sin by repentance, God, we pray that your will would be done. We praise your wonderful name. You are holy, you are righteous, you are good. We're just thankful you chose us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So I'm going to show you three different covenants that God has made. And in each covenant, the underlying theme is faith. And I know you're not going to catch that, but we want to look past uh, maybe a surface level and try to go deeper into our text. So, so 
the Apostle Paul starts by telling the church in Galatia, you remember Abram. You remember Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. You remember? All right. So you know who Abraham is? So do they. So do they. In fact, for Hebrews, Abraham is, is, is of the Mecca. Abraham's one of the most biggest pivotal players in the Old Testament uh, just trilogy of patriarchs. He, he is one because he's the one that the promise began with. Remember, God came to Abram. God came to Abram, called him out of his country, called him out of his land. He says, I want you to go. He didn't give him a road map. He didn't give him an app that was going to help him get there. He didn't have Siri. He didn't have any of this. He said, I want you to go, and he got faithful. Abram got faithful. He just said, yes, Lord. He packed up his stuff, and he goes. He says, I'm going to bless you. Whew. Wouldn't you love for God to say that about you? What if I told you he has? Whew. You and I are more free than we've ever experienced. We're going to get to that. By faith, Abraham trusted God's covenant. God says, I want you to go. And he goes. And then, and then God comes to him, and, and Abraham's an old man. He comes to him, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham's like, all right, all right, all right. I like how that sounds. Time goes on. Time goes on. And remember, Abraham is, is the agent that God chooses to bless. God doesn't bless everyone the same way. If you've ever looked at it and you thought, well, I wonder why such and such has more money than I do. I wonder why they can sing so much better. I wonder why they can do... Sometimes God chooses people to bless in different ways. That doesn't mean we're not all blessed. It's just sometimes God's blessings are different. God chose Abraham to bless. He's going to be the top of the mountain that the rest of this thing comes down. So he, he shows Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your offspring. And notice that he, that he put singular. In fact, Paul even makes mention of this, that this is a, a singular offspring. This is a specific offspring between him and Sarah. Now that's important, that we get this correctly, because you remember, Abraham is going to get in the flesh. Abraham's going to say, you know what? God gave me this promise. It sure has been a while. Him and Sarah get together, and Sarah goes, hey, I've got this, this handmaid here. Why don't you take her? Y'all have a baby, and then that's our baby. But that was never God's plan. Because he said, you're, you, you and Sarah, your offspring are going to be blessed. So Ishmael's born. But Ishmael isn't God's chosen offspring. Who would it be? Isaac, yeah. Three of you got it. Isaac. <laughs> God would, would, would choose Isaac in the lineage to follow for his bloodline, who is ultimately going to lead us to who? Sunday school answer. Jesus. Perfect. Eight of you got it. All right. So God chose Abraham to bless, but it took faith on behalf of Abraham to receive the blessings of from God. God comes to him. He's already called him out. He's already walked a journey with the Lord. But now in his old age, he says, I'm going to bless you. He brings him out of his tent at night. He says, Abraham, look up. He says, the stars in the sky are going to be just nothing compared to your offspring. Nothing compared to your lineage. That's some pretty bold words from the Lord. 
It took faith receiving the blessing from God. Abraham had to trust the plan. Abraham had to trust the plan. He had to hear what the promise of the Lord was, and he had to trust it. He had to trust in the plan. He had to trust in the power of God. Because we're in a place now, this is what I love about how God does. God will do something you ain't ready for. Sarah is an older lady. In fact, I don't know that there's anybody in our room today, Sarah's age. And yet, God comes to them and says, you're going to have a baby. Now, some of you are like, <laughs> if God knocked on your door tonight and said, hey, guess what? You're supposed to have a baby. Some of you be like, oh, Lord, I'm not ready. I mean, I'm 30, and I'm not ready again. Like, we've got one. He's awesome. He, he's it, all right? God had, God had imposed his promise on them. But they had, to have, they had faith that the Lord was going to bring this to fruition. They had faith that, that God was who God said he is. They had faith that he was a, a promise-keeping Lord. They had faith that, that he had spoke. And you know how they got that faith? They just wake up and be like, ooh, full of faith. There was no appeal. There was no ten, ten steps to a better you. There was no book like that. They had faith in the Lord because they had walked with him. They had faith in the Lord because they had walked with him. They had seen time and time again the providence and the provision of the Lord. They had seen God do things in their life that they weren't ready for. They had seen God do some incredible works in front of them. They had, seen God, they had seen God provide in ways that only a sovereign, holy Lord could provide teenagers. If I could ever tell you any wisdom today, I know my hair's falling out, and I know you think I'm old. I'm not that much older than you, I promise. If I could redo my teenage years, I would develop my faith. I would. I, I wouldn't spend near as much time looking in a mirror or hitting the weight room, although I was stout, guys. I was, I was like a brick wall. You know that song, She's a Brick House? It wasn't written about me, but I could have been her friend, right? Um, I don't even know that song. <laughs> Develop your faith. Develop your faith. Put people around you of the like, of like faith. Put people around you that's going to encourage you. I, I tried, and I, and I struggled. Anybody, anybody y'all, y'all struggle in your faith? The adults do, too. They're just not as bold as you. If I could do anything, it would be develop my walk with the Lord. Develop personality traits. Develop characteristics that were going to promote a life with Christ in my life. I wouldn't worry about my image. Because when my identity is in Christ, that's enough image. I want him to be who people see. Not me. Because I'm like you. I'm a mess. Like if my life was played on that big screen, I'd be red. I'd be at the door. I want what people see when they look at me to be Jesus. Abraham had to trust in the plan. This plan was extraordinary. This plan was outside the box. God came to an, an older couple who was well beyond the years of child rearing, and, and he, said, he said, you are going to have a child. And they had, they had to trust in this power that God, God could outdo, outdo nature. God could outdo the human body. God was going to bring something to fruition. And they had faith in the plan. They trusted the Lord that he was faithful. They trusted that, that he is who he said he was. Fast forward 400 years, you get the covenant of, of Moses that God makes for the people of Israel. It says, by faith, Moses trusted God's covenant. He trusted God's covenant. When, when the law came down, they trusted that, that God was going to 
keep them, that God was going to mold them, that, that God was going to hold them. And we know, we know the law. Most of us have um, maybe the first ten, maybe three of the ten. Most of us can go back to the Ten Commandments, and we have some of those. And when the law came down, they had faith that the Lord was going to provide. They had faith that the Lord was going to keep them. They had faith that God was going to deliver them. They, they heard in Genesis, they heard that God had, had told them that there was coming, there was coming a Messiah, there was coming someone. You remember in the, the interaction God has with Satan, he says, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. They're waiting on the agent that's going to crush Satan's head. They're waiting on a promised Jesus. And so they're living under the law. And we understand by the Apostle Paul that it shackles. And we understand that it was difficult, that most people couldn't do it. But keeping the commandments took faith in the promise keeping God. It took faith that God is who he said he is. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. So they persisted. Was it easy? No. This wasn't easy. Think being a believer today is, is easy. You should have the law. And we still do have the law. Don't you think you can just cut that book out of the Bible and you're good? We have it, and it's a necessity for us, but we're not, we're not held by it. The law system pointed the Israelites to the need of a Messiah. The law system pointed the Israelites to the need of a Messiah. As they were going through, and each day was regimented. Each day was set out. Only certain things you could do on the day of the Lord, the day of the Sabbath. Only certain things you could do on, on certain times of the year. And you had to do this, and you had to do that, and you, you had to perform. And so many times a year, the men would have to come before the Lord. And, and so many times a year, and then you had, you had circumcision. You had all of these things that were structured, pillars. And why was it there? Because the people were sinful. Because the people were sinful. And we can look at them and go to throwing rocks at them. But you got to know, my grandmother used to tell me, just remember when you go to throwing rocks, we all live in glass houses. Just remember, we all live in glass houses. So we look at the Israelites and we go, well, they were a mess. They were complainers. God provided a meal every day. And boy, I wish God would show bread out my door. And yet God provided you. God went well beyond the bread at your door. Most of you have bank accounts. You can go buy whatever bread you want to. God's blessed you beyond measure. He's given you the counsel of his word. He's shown us his promises. He's shown us his goodness. We look back at them and we think, what fools? And yet we're no better than they are. How often are you complaining about your circumstances? How often are you complaining about your health? How often are you complaining about your finances? Or how often are you complaining about your children or your, your spouse? If we would fall in love with Jesus, we would fall in love with the promise-keeping Messiah. I promise you our attention and our affection wouldn't be on complaining. The Apostle Paul knew what a bad day was. His brother was shipwrecked. And after he swam to the shore... He was bitten by a viper. Like at that point, I lay on the beach. I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> His big body probably ain't making that swim, but I'm dead. I ain't even getting up. I'm going to lay there and die. The Apostle Paul kept going. He kept persisting because he knew the gospel was bigger. He knew Jesus was more extraordinary he knew that following Jesus and being a witness to the gospel would be the greatest thing he could do. 
the law system was based off of works and performance. It was based off works and performance. The scary part about that is somebody can outwork you. Somebody can outwork you. Somebody can put in more hours. Somebody can put in more time. Somebody's more skilled. Somebody's prettier. Somebody's skinnier. Somebody's in better health. They can run further. They can talk faster. There's always somebody in whatever field we think we're good at, somebody is better than you. So they're, they're, they're working through the workspace. they got to do this, and you you got to do that. And the focus was on performing. For us, the focus is no longer on performing. It's on giving our lives to Jesus and allowing Him to use it for His will. Giving our lives to Jesus and saying to Him, this is, this is salvation. Lord, you've got my life. Do with it as you will. Lord, you've got my life. That means you've got my finances. That means you've got my house. That means you've got my children. That means you've got every facet of my life. Do with it as you will. We don't partially submit. We surrender. The law system was, was based off Works. Three reasons the law cannot save you. The law was temporary and only for the Israelites. The law was temporary and only for the Israelites. The law was temporary. God had a plan coming. Salvation was coming. Before the foundations of the world were laid, God looked upon his son as what? Slave. Slave. When God instituted the law to Moses, he knew Jesus was coming. Isn't that good news? The law was temporary. It wasn't going to be the fix. It wasn't the permanent. This was a, a band-aid, and, and Jesus is going to come in, and he's going to be the stitches. He's going to be what surrounds it and heals it. He's going to be what delivers it. We understand that the law was temporary, and it was only for Israel. The law convicted us of sin, but as the Apostle Paul pointed out, it never offered a salvation for us. It showed us the law is a great measuring stick for your life. If you think you're doing well, read the law. You're probably not. And so the law convicts us of our sin, but it never saves us from it. It never saves us from it. It always shows it to it. And what it's doing, the law is pointing us to our need to Jesus. The people had faith that God was going to provide a permanent solution. We've been walking through the book of Hebrews as a church on Wednesday night. And what we see was Jesus is our high priest who's going to do something for us that only he could do. He's going back and he's going to make an offering for us that's not yearly like the, the law based, like the law says. It wasn't going to be a yearly atonement. It was going to be a forever atonement, an eternal atonement. Jesus is our high priest. He's making intercessory for us from now on. From now on. How long is now on? It's forever. It doesn't end. The law prepared us for Jesus. And then by faith we embrace the covenant of grace. This is where you and I land today. See, God, God promised Abram, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to bless your name. I'm going to bless your name. Thousands of years from now, people are going to be telling your story. And then he gives out the covenant, the law. He gives out the promise of the law. And then Jesus, when we tell you Jesus changed everything, he truly did. Jesus came and he flipped the whole world up on its head in 30 years. That makes me feel bad. Like I'm 30, I'm about, Jesus lived about three years longer than I have. Depending on how you read the Gospel of John, um, I've done nothing. Jesus flipped the world upside down. I've done nothing. Um, I'm not him, I'm not the Lord, but I still should be encouraged to serve so much more greater because of who he is. 
We embrace the covenant of grace. See, in the law, you had to perform. The covenant of grace, Jesus says, I perform for you. Grace says, I've done it for you. Nothing you could do. There's nothing you could do. You couldn't deliver yourself. You couldn't save yourself. We embrace the covenant of grace. At salvation, we became justified. We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about what it means to be justified. In verse 23, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law, who was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified. We are justified. And we talked last week about what justification meant. It doesn't mean we weren't guilty. It doesn't mean we weren't guilty. In fact, it means just we are guilty. We are guilty of our sin. Every sin I committed before I came to faith and repentance of Christ, I own that bad boy. It is mine. Sometimes my grandmother, she had a lot of sayings. She'd say, sometimes, big boy, you got to lay in the bed that you made. And I was guilty of my sin. I was guilty of my sin. At justification, that same sin still there, Christ paid for it. At justification, your slate was wiped clean. At justification, the judge, the eternal judge, God Almighty, banged his gavel on your sin. Though you are guilty, someone has paid your debt. Someone has paid your debt. How sweet is the Savior that we serve. How mighty is the Savior that we serve. Now, if you're a believer here with me this morning, this should encourage you that God loves you beyond any words you can comprehend. That He's done something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. It should encourage you. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. He says, for the message of the cross, for those who are perishing, it's folly, it's foolishness. But for those of us being saved, it's power. Every time you hear the gospel and the good news that you've been justified, it should encourage you, encourage you to walk more like Jesus, to become more like Jesus, not out of obligation. And it's not, we're not reverting back to a works-based faith. But when you see how much Jesus loved you and how much Jesus gave for you, you'll desire to be faithful to him. You'll desire to be with him. You, you long for the relationship that you have with the Holy Father. You long for the embrace of Jesus. You long for him. And the psalmist would say, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Have you ever had that thirst for the Lord? Have you ever had that? I know some of you are thinking, like, I got that hunger right now for that chicken, but that ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a thirst that, that can't be satisfied by anything else other than Jesus. I'm talking about something that is bigger than anything you've hungered and longed for, and it's Jesus is the solution. We're justified. We're justified, not because of us, but because of Jesus. At salvation, we're set free. At salvation, we're set free. Paul's talking to the church, right? And he tells them, he says, before you had a guardian. The guardian was the law. The guardian was something that hung over you. Anybody ever had to go on a date with your parents? Okay, come on, y'all quit, quit lying. You had to go on a date with your parents. Wasn't that awkward? Parents, you should be dating with your children. Sorry, guys. 
you should be invested in your children's lives. You, you should. And you should always know what they're doing um, with other people. With that, remember, God gave you the responsibility to rear your children. That's on you. That's on me. No one, it's not the church's job to raise my child. It's not the school's job to raise my job. It's not a t-ball or football coach. It is mine. I will stand before the Lord. He's given that to me. I have to do it well, right? So at, ju- at salvation, we're set free. We're set free. I, re- I remember some of those early dating experiences I had. Boy, they were awkward. Especially when like, you were around the family because it was always like something hovering. Like You just didn't know what to do. Like, you, you were just awkward. Um, the law was the hoverer. The, these people were under the law. They were shackled to it. They couldn't escape it. Their days were so regimented by what they could do and what they couldn't do. There was a, a long list of yeses and nos of things they could and could not do. And Jesus said, I've come to set you free from that. And you're going to say, well, does that mean anything I want to do, I can go do? Certainly not. You're not free to sin. God's never given you that authority. But some of the, those things that the law shackled you to. Anybody this morning have bacon? Okay, sausage. The, the pork family, anybody with me? Y'all didn't eat breakfast? Pastor Ron, they all had donuts. They all had donuts. Which is leavened, thanks be to Jesus, right? We, we landed that. We landed that. You are set free in ways that you were never, ever aware that you were set free. You, you didn't have to conform anymore to the yeses and noes of the Old Testament. You didn't have to conform to the law and, and the weight of it because Jesus is saying, I'm enough for you. I'm enough for you. You get after me, and you're not going to have to worry about the law because you're going to be so in love with me. You're going to walk in the ways of the Lord. You're going to be sold out to me. At salvation, you are not. We're set free. We can worship like the Old Testament people only long that they could because we experience the grace and the Holy Spirit of the Lord, things that they had never been allowed to experience. We receive salvation, so we're no longer going and asking and begging somebody to make intercessory before us. No. Nobody's going to the Holy of Holies to make sacrifices for us because Jesus is our sacrifice. So we're set free and we're forever set free. Forever. You're no longer going to have to go back and beg someone to, to forgive you of your sins because Christ is an eternal, eternal high priest. You're not going back to the, the law. You're not going back to the Levitical system because you're experiencing and you're living in grace. How does that come? It comes by faith. It comes by faith. The same faith that Abraham had. When God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless your name. And Abraham had faith. And when the people heard the law, they responded to it. It took faith. You and I experience Christ today. And we come by faith. We come by faith. We don't come by fear. We don't come by fear. We don't come because we have financial need. We don't come because our lives are a mess. We come in faith. Can God heal your marriage? Absolutely. Can God heal your finances? Absolutely. Can God heal your children? Absolutely. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. We come to Jesus. Look at at this transfer that God did for us. He accomplished what we could not. He was rejected. He was rejected, and we were rescued. He was rejected. We are rescued. He was forsaken. 
His father forsook him and put the weight of sin on his shoulders. Why? So that we could be accepted. So that we could be accepted. So when God sees you, He doesn't see your mess. He doesn't see the junk in your life. Because it's been forgiven. It's been forgiven forever. He cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. He became cursed. Look at this. So that you could be blessed. He became cursed. So that you could be blessed. Jesus took your punishment for your sin on the cross of Calvary. He took the weight of God's judgment against you. He took the, the, all, of, all of the sin and mess that you had accrued. He took it on the cross and then tells us, have faith in me. Have faith in me. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Can I ask you this morning? Do you have faith in Jesus? I'm not talking about some type of church thing. I'm not talking about have you had an experience before. I'm talking, do you know that faith in Christ? Have you experienced that in your life? Have you been set free from the, the law of, the, of trying and you've begun to trust? Have you been released from the weight of sin? Have you been rescued from your depravity? And are you walking in the freedom that Christ is offering? If you're not, can I tell you today you're the most miserable person in the room? I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is this. Accepting Jesus as my Savior was the best decision I've ever made. He is the answer. He is the answer to your sin problem. You're not going to be a better you. I don't care how many bookstores you go into. I don't care how many TV evangelists you watch. God's never been about a better you. He's been about a holier you. You can do that today by having faith and accepting Jesus as your Savior. We want to give you that opportunity today. So just right where you are, you just bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to do some self-heart inventory this morning. I can't look at you and say, hey, you're saved, you're saved, you're not, you're saved, you're saved. I can't make that distinction today. But you can. You know in your heart of hearts if you've trusted the Lord. You know in your heart of hearts if you have faith in Jesus. So I'm asking you today, if you're here today and God's pumped it into your spirit, because God's spirit is alive and well. If God's revealing to you, you're not a believer today. You know you're not. You've been playing church. You've been here so long they gave you a key. But you're not saved. You've been doing the things, trying to look the part, but, but you're not because you haven't accepted the Lord. If God's placed that on your heart right now and your, your heart's beating out of control, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of that, just raise your hand. Just real quick, just whoop, back down. That's you today. Greatest decision you can make today is following the Lord Jesus. Selling out to Him. 
Maybe you're here today and you're, you're not free because you've picked up sin. You've been carrying around the baggage of sin for so long. You, you're heavy. Your life feels like it's a burden. And you're, you need Jesus to release you today. Just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you. Hands are up all over the room. you got sin that you need praying over. We want to pray for you. I'm not going to come shake you down the parking lot. Maybe today God's calling you and saying you're not experiencing that freedom because of, of trying. Some of you, you're trying to impress the Lord. Today you just need to start trusting Him. If that's you today, slip up your hand right where you're at. You just need to trust the Lord. Quit trying to perform and just trust Him. Father, I pray over these people that you've placed here. They're your, your people. And I pray for the hands that went up that said, you know what, I'm, I'm not a believer. I've been playing church for so long. I look the part. I sound the part. I've been in Sunday school. I've been on mission trips. But deep down, I know I'm not a believer. Lord, I pray for, for those souls that you would give them the power and the, the boldness to, to stand up and find somebody that will teach them and show them the gospel. Show them the good news of Jesus. Pray that come down. I'd love to have a conversation with them, Lord. Or for those today that are shackled by sin and they can't be free because they've never released the sin that's in their lives. God, I pray that you'd give them the same boldness to step out same boldness to come before and, and fall on their knees before an altar and declare to the Lord their sin. Because we know, Father, you, you've told us when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful. So God, I pray repentance would come today. Father, for those today who are exhausted because they've been trying, they've been trying to impress you, They've been trying to live lives that were pleasing to you. Father, I pray that they would fall in complete surrender and have faith that you're going to do what you've set forth. They would trust your plan. Like Abraham, though we can't see all the details, though we can't see all the twists and turns in the journey, but Father, we just trust you. We trust you because you're a promise-keeping God. So Father, we give this time of, of invitation to you asking you to do with it what you will. We'll be careful to give you all the praise, glory, and adoration. It's in the name of Christ we pray. If you need to come down to an altar and pray,